As protests continue across the United States, we believe it is important for us to speak up. ARC, our company, and every team member stands in solidarity with the Black community in their fight against systemic racism and oppression. We ask our listeners to join us in speaking up against racial discrimination, and please consider donating to an organization fighting for the equal treatment of fellow human beings. Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. ARK Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by ARK. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by ARK or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by ARK to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of ARK Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to FYI, ARK's weekly podcast on innovation and technology investing. This week, we have Jason Su Hoi, who is the CEO of Supercast, a startup that is helping the podcast industry monetize off subscription services. Jason, welcome to the ARK podcast. Thanks for having me. So the podcast industry is fascinating. It's been around since the days of iPod. That's how it got its name, been around like 15 years now. But now we're seeing a huge interest from investors, from, from listeners. And as a medium, it's really blowing up. What do you think has really changed in the last couple of years that's driven this change? Yeah, great question. Yeah, I think... Um it's a number of things. Obviously, the power of spoken voice, you know, the power of stories is as old as, you know, our ability to, to get around campfires and, you know, pass down stories down through generations and entertain each other with nothing more than our memories and our voice box. So I think the spoken medium is just something that comes natural to us as human beings. And, you know, technology, obviously, over the course of years, has transformed the way that we're able to tell those stories, going from one-to-one to one-to-a-group-of-people through to radio, for example. And, you know, radio is, you know, I guess, a transformative broadcast method allowed, you know, one person to get the message out to many. And the thing about the internet in particular and mobile internet is just really extended the reach of audio. And, you know, for that reason, I think people have discovered podcasting as a way, basically anyone to be able to create a show, to be able to tell stories about their particular niche. The internet does, you know, one thing really, really well. It's enabling niches at at massive scale. So all of a sudden, you know, with a $30 microphone, just the microphone on your iPhone or your Android device with a pair of earbuds, you know, you can record stories, start a show, start a podcast, deliver that show to thousands and thousands of users, all driven by the power of the internet. You don't have to conform to radio standards, for example, broadcasting standards, what might sell the most ads. Rather, everyday people are free to create a show around their specific nation, you know, their specific expertise, which uh, I think is you know, super transformative and super powerful. Now you joined as CEO quite recently. You were at 99designs before, I think, before joining. What drew you to Supercast and what do you think 
I guess maybe give our listeners a brief kind of pitch on what the company does and, and what it seeks to provide that other companies aren't doing for, for the podcast industry? Yeah, that's a great question. So at 99designs, for those that don't know, 99designs is a global creative platform specifically focused around creatives, mostly in the field of graphic design. On 99designs, we've got a community of over 1.6 million designers who are you know, really skilled at their craft and want to earn money with their design skills. And so we connect them with businesses of all shapes and sizes that need things like logo designs, t-shirt designs, website designs. And it's through 99designs as a platform that all of that design is brought to the world and, and those designers are able to earn money from their craft. I think one thing that really drew me to Supercast was a bit of a shift in the way creators are earning money or the possible way that you know, creatives can earn money that was written about by Andreessen Horowitz and entitled The Passion Economy. You know, I guess we can contrast what you know most people know as the, the gig economy, something that over the, I guess the previous decade really transformed the way people were able to earn money and become entrepreneurs in their own right and earn money on their terms with the time that they have available and essentially be able to turn work on and off, you know, with the tap of a button, whether that be, you know, driving for Uber or Lyft or working, you know, through platforms like TaskRabbit, for example. The gig economy, most people know, and it's done amazing things for people that embraced it on the supplier side. But what the passion economy does specifically for creators is super interesting. And rather than monetizing people's time and kind of flattening their skills into broad groups of common tasks, the passion economy actually embraces people's unique individuality. So, you know, you can think of YouTube creators, for example. You can think of people that are creating video courses, take into account their unique skills or the unique take on the world. And you can also think about podcasters being being, you know, people who are building up an audience that is tuning in every episode, every week and every month to not only learn something new and be entertained, but also to have that connection with that individual that is super, super powerful. The passion economy and, you know, Supercast's, you know, role in, in driving the passion economy forward is, you know, something that was super, super attractive to me because, now, all of a sudden, we're helping embrace people's individuality. We're helping people establish direct connections with their audience as opposed to that relationship being owned by a, you know, a middleman or a platform like, let's say, Uber. And then we're also helping people to build up recurring revenues, which, again, is really transformative because you know, rather than being paid for your time and having your income linked to the time that you have available to work, you're now getting paid for your ability to build up a global audience of people who are paying you recurring revenue and essentially transitioning to getting paid in your sleep. Jason, I'm curious what your thoughts are on just the consumer's willingness to subscribe to a podcast. Obviously, it's a very traditional method in, in video format. We're, we're all subscribed to a Netflix or an HBO of some sort. But how are you convincing the consumer that this podcast is worth subscribing to, paying a fee for? Yeah, that's a great question. The thing about podcasts is people are really tuning into a particular individual's brand. Um, mm -hmm. you know, when they're listening to that podcast. And so 
it's not so much about you know necessarily convincing everybody to subscribe to or and pay for a podcast, but rather it more aligns with Kevin Kelly's idea of only needing a thousand true fans right. to be able to really build a, a meaningful business or a meaningful income. And the podcasters that we've seen make this successful are converting anywhere from you know two to eight percent of their audience on their public podcast over to paying subscribers paying anywhere from five to fifteen dollars a month but even a fraction of that audience converting over to paying subscriptions adds very quickly up to really meaningful revenue and so the early podcasters that we've helped so far have been able to put businesses up to millions of of dollars in in recurrent revenue from the really engaged audiences Mm -hmm. can you just describe a bit how supercast allows for that premium subscription to function you had mentioned before the this podcast started, we were talking a bit about allowing for the consumer to stay within the platform that they use to consume podcasts, but actually be able to get that premium content. Can you just describe that a bit? Yeah, sure. So most people will discover a podcast by searching for them or coming across them in the iTunes directory or hearing about it from their friends and then, you know, going and and searching for them and, you know, finding a podcast, which they then add to Apple podcasts on their phone, for example. What we do at Supercast is we help podcasters create private feeds where, again, a small percentage of their audience pays for a subscription. And so the way podcasters can convert people over to that is they take a link to a supercast page that outlines you know what people get in that private subscription they then put a link to that in their show notes which is available exposed to people to their listeners and the podcast player of their choice and then the episodes that they're recording on public feed you know they can obviously tell the listeners that you know this is one way that they can support them or one way that they can get extra value from the show is to subscribe to the private feed and so from there the listener can click that link, go and see, okay, you know, for $5, for $10, you know, this is what I get. This is the additional content that I can get. That can range anywhere from ad-free episodes to early access to episodes to AMAs where you can ask questions directly to a podcaster through to, you know, merchandise offers or access to a, a Slack community, for example, where you, again, get a little bit more engagement. And then from there, you can pay with Apple Pay, Google Pay, you know, and after you've paid, that's where we have links for you to, in two taps, subscribe to that private feed in uh, the podcast player of your choice. So if you were listening already on Apple Podcasts, the next time you come back to Apple Podcasts with a couple of taps, you know, you'll see the premium feed and there's no need to download any special apps or anything. I see. So in my player, it will look like I subscribe to a different podcast. It's just like a different name for the same thing. It may be the exclusive version. That's right. Exactly right. So as an example, you know, Shane Parrish, one of our early podcasters and, and actually one of our investors, he has a podcast called The Knowledge Project. And podcast. Yeah. And the premium version of that is called uh, The Knowledge Project Premium. And so mm-hmm. it just has a, a different cover artwork so that you can distinguish the premium version from the free version. Is there any security protocol to prevent people from just like discovering this? Like I've never seen a login screen, for example, with podcasts. Like, is it just a hidden URL or is what's the protection protocol, if any? Yeah, that's a great question. And the way we architected Supercast to create these private feeds is actually to, to build upon the same RSS technology that powers all of podcasting. But instead of having one RSS feed that 
all of the listeners subscribe to and is the same feed, we actually provide an individual feed for each premium subscriber. Um, So those feeds are actually unique to those listeners, which enables a couple of really cool things. One, we can provide more in-depth analytics than people expect, you know, just from being able to look at one individual shared feed. And so what that means is you can drill right into, you know, a particular subscriber and how often they're engaging with their content and which episodes they're listening to and use that as a way to develop better content over time that resonates with the people that are obviously paying and supporting your show. And then secondly, it also allows us to create better security because, you know, there have been instances, you know, in some of the early podcasters we work with, for example, had private feeds shared on Reddit. And, you know, when that happens, <laughs> that's a bad thing, you know, like you're having what is supposed to be a private feed, you know, shared out there in the public, which amounts to privacy. But there's also unintended consequences from that in terms of, you know, potentially racking up thousands and thousands of dollars in hosting bills on AWS, which you know, actually happened in that case. And so... What having individual feeds allows us to do is, you know, if something like that were to happen, we can actually get alerts that one particular feed is being accessed in 10 different cities, for example, which is not uh, a normal use case Yeah, or or downloaded too many times. And then uh, the podcast has the ability to shut down that unique feed without affecting anybody else's listening experiences. That's very clever. That's very clever. And what is Supercast's business model? Do you take a cut off the ARR or how does that work? So we take a flat fee per private feed. So rather than taking a percentage cut, which some of our podcasters are charging upwards of $15 per private feed, for example, rather than taking a cut that just ends up being too big a share of the podcaster's overall income as they grow their audience and as they increase the price of some of their tiers, we've decided to take a flat fee cut. Very cool. Very interesting. Let's zoom out a little and just talk about the podcast market as exists today. I think most of the revenue today is in advertising, whether it's through networks or through direct readouts by the, by the hosts. Are you interested? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're observing. You don't serve the ad market, but I'm sure you're observing it. And you allow your podcasters to offer the dual track of doing both advertising and the subscription revenue. How large do you think is the market today overall? And what, I guess, how large do you think the subscription side could become over time? The ad market in the US is expected to reach... I think, you know, just over $800 million this year, projected for $1 billion next year. I think that will still continue to increase over the medium long term. It just might take a little bit longer to play out. You know, to get an idea of where things might go, if you look at the Chinese market, the Chinese podcasting market, that rather than looking like, you know, $1 billion, that's already an $8 billion market, which is incredible. The question is, you know, how come, you know, like their market is so big? Is it just, you know, because they have, you know, so many more listeners and, you know, their population is bigger? And, you know, certainly that's part of it. But then another big part of it is that they monetize their content a lot more directly through, you know, the power of subscription and much less so ads, which is, you know, obviously flipped in the US. You know, we're a very ad-led market. And so over in China, you have stories of the economics professor who now earns $8 million a year, quit his day job teaching at university to teach 
hundreds of thousands of people who listened to him and listened to his courses rather than, you know, the hundreds that were, you know, were able to, to benefit from his advice in the classroom. There's clearly a ton of room for this to grow in many directions. Yes, ads will continue to grow, but we're already seeing, you know, in other markets that subscription is super powerful. When you think of Headspace, if you think of Calm, you know, they're not podcasts, but they're still audio. They're just audio in a different form. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people have been very willing, you know, those are both successful businesses. People are very willing to pay for specialized content in a particular niche that has been created with a lot of thought of attention. And so we're still in the very, very early days of, you know, what it means to monetize audio. And that's why, you know, we're super excited about this idea of subscriptions and subscription podcasting in particular. Basically, we stumbled onto this business model by accident. It was through helping out podcasters like Sam Harris, Peter Atia, Rhonda Patrick, and Shane Parrish. We realized that subscription podcasts are an insane business that can create high margin, recurring revenues, you know, much like a, a SaaS business like Zoom, but without all of the, the R&D. Mm-hmm. And so the amazing thing is that most podcasters don't even realize the goldmine they're sitting on. And why do you think it is that outside of China, the subscription business hasn't really gotten a foothold and podcasters have favored the advertising market to generate revenue? And maybe as a parallel to that, like what, how did these norms in China establish? China yeah, it's so very fam- famously for free content and, and, you know, didn't want to pay for video in the beginning. Well, in the US, Netflix is taking off. It's just, I don't know if you have any insights to how that formed in China, but I'd love to hear more about that as well. You know, I think advertising is, you know, just kind of built into the default monetization model or the proven monetization model, let's say, in pretty much every medium in the Western world. If you think about TV, people make money through ads. If you think about radio, people make money through ads. If, even right. if you think about social media now, you know, and the internet, how is most of the money made on platforms like Google, Twitter, all of the, the money is made through advertising. It's just, you know, what people are comfortable with. In China, I think one of the key differences is rather than necessarily being the open model based on RSS that powers most of podcasting, there actually are a couple of platforms that own a lot of the market when it comes to learning via audio and subscribing to audio courses. And so what that means is that consumers are used to those early movers. They know them by name, they know them by brand, and they know that you know when they come into that, they're paying for specific things and that they need to subscribe to get access to that particular individual's particular insight. I think the market is basically just started off on a different footing to that of the US. But as we know, you know, these things can obviously all evolve over time, you know, and isn't totally determined by your starting position. I think you bring up a great point here, Jason. And just to kind of tie in some of the work we've done at ARC, looking at the gaming world in China, the monetization methods and the proliferation of live streaming there versus Western countries kind of mimics this difference that you've described in podcasting where you have virtual goods and live streaming very prolific in China, but in the Western side of in countries, it's ad-based monetization and it's not as big as it is in China, just being that newer format that podcasting and live streaming is. 
Yeah, I think that's a great parallel, actually. It's almost the same. And yet, you are certainly seeing that grow in the Western world. Yeah. Um, if you look at some of these prolific gamers and you watch them play for, you know, 15, 20 minutes on a Twitch stream, you yeah. just see, you know, like time after time, all of these chests are blowing up all of the stream with somebody having just tipped that person $15, you know, $20, $50, $100 for nothing more than, you know, essentially being able to show the community that they appreciated that person personality or you know what they're able to achieve you know yeah. within the context of their game when i watched a couple of games a little time ago and you know saw that level of kind of money flowing through for what is essentially you know just appreciation i was blown away and so you know there's certainly that element to podcasting and essentially tipping models whereby a podcaster can create a link that allows people to that appreciate their show to be able to support that show through the likes of Patreon. But what we're put, seeing through Supercast and, and enabling through Supercast is for people to actually pay for value. Uh, right. to pay for extra content that you know other people aren't able to get access to as opposed to it just being you know kind of a tip-based support method if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Jason let's talk about some of the industry movers how large companies have responded you know I look at Apple arguably they invented this genre of podcasts they've continued to iterate on their podcast app but they've really not done much since they don't have a monetization model I don't think they try to engage with content creators they seem to be just content that this is a use case for the iPhone. Do you think they've done a good job? And if, if not, what do you think they should do to make this strategic? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I guess I'll say Apple is Apple. And um, <laughs> everybody tries to read the tea leaves of Apple's release cycles, you know, where Apple's going to take the iPhone, the Mac, and, you know, all of their products. Obviously, services is something that they have been pushing really, really hard over the last few years, realizing that, you know, they're probably, you know, reached the maximum of their addressable audience, you know, the likes of the iPhone, and therefore, they kind of shifting their attention to other parts of the ecosystem that they've thus created. I think the thing with podcasting is, you know, it's still a drop in the ocean for Apple. It's, you know, it's not even a drop, it's a speck. If you talk about the whole podcast industry being 500, 600 million dollars in ad revenue, I think it's just not exciting enough and it doesn't move the needle enough for them to really go after that, at least not with a large amount of focus. Obviously, people have been paying attention to the fact that Apple has been building out their podcast team in recent times. But I think, to your point, they created this open ecosystem. They were the people that put podcasts into iTunes and that was you know, obviously the precursor to podcasts blowing up as a medium you know i don't think it was their intention at all to create a closed ecosystem from the beginning podcasting is now a very fragmented market for better or worse and so it just makes it hard for any one player to have control over everything because even apple podcasts for example now you know they control about you know 50 60 percent of the, the market share for listeners and then there's obviously spotify as a new entrant and there's podcast players like Castro, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, etc. There's just a, a super long tail of places where people are tuning in to listen. And what that means is, yeah, it's just beyond the point, I think, where any one player can kind of dominate what the experience should be mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to podcasting. Maybe you can't move the needle for Apple, but might move the needle for Spotify. And they've invested quite aggressively. They've acquired a number of companies, including The Ringer. Their strategy appears to be kind of vertically integrating content, Netflix style. Do you think that's the right approach for them? Could you see this working out? 
Yeah, I think it's a super interesting approach for them. I think it is the right approach for them. I think it's, you know, really smart. From what we know, it started off as a test within Spotify and they signed one podcast deal and that one podcast influencer ended up, you know, creating thousands of new paying subscribers for Spotify, which just makes a ton of sense. You know, I think Daniel Eck, based on the results of that, said we should be doing thousands of these, uh, you know, and... And using that as a, as a way to think about acquiring users. And so user acquisition obviously is one benefit to Spotify and allows them to, to grow the pie beyond what they've been able to achieve already. You know, the other part of it, of course, and dovetails into our conversation just now about advertising is that by having an app that people are already, millions of people are already used to using and then adding podcasts into that, they're just able to provide a lot more granular information on how people are actually engaging with audio content and with podcast audience, with podcast content than other players have, for example. And so they're recently released, you know, dynamic insertion advertising as a revenue stream and as something players can get on board with. They're focused on that as a way to continue to grow their revenue in the podcasting market. I'm curious, Jason, what are your thoughts on the dynamic ad placement? Because from my own experience with podcasts, it's always been host-read ads. And that does keep the user very engaged in the ad. And it feels very homey. And it's still that person of interest telling you a story about a product. How do you think podcasts can maintain that feeling of a host-read ad, but then expand? Because you can't necessarily grow that too large. And that's, I think, why Spotify is going the dynamic ad route. Certainly the host red ad model is the best performing, the best converting. For most hosts, they really, really care about, you know, the quality of their show and ads, you know, a big part in that as well. And so they like to inject humor to their ads, Mm -hmm. for example. They like to put their own unique spin on it. And so rather than it, you know, just being a break in their show that could be jarring and could be completely kind of opposite to the tone that their show normally sets to create. You know, I learned this pretty early on through At 99 Designs podcasts. We actually advertised on a number of podcasts. And, you know, one of the ones that was the most successful for us was the Tim Ferriss show. Hmm. And, you know, we were lucky that Tim Ferriss was a very early advocate for 99 Designs. He used us to come up with, you know, designs and inspiration for, you know, the cover of one of his books and, you know, used us for a number of different places to get design created. And because of that, he was able to speak super authentically about, you know, his experience with 99 Designs, you know, why he loves 99 Designs, you know, how he thinks it's a great way to get design done really, really affordably. And because of that, and because of, you know, the just the fit with his audience, obviously, you know, people listening to Tim, are the movers and the shakers of the world, you know, people that are very entrepreneurial in spirit and better try new things. Those podcast ads performed, you know, extremely effectively. Um, and I just don't know that dynamic insertion would have the same effect. Right. It's possible that the net effect is better when you have something like dynamic insertion and the ability to target specific users through the kinds of data that Spotify has access to in terms of linking what people are listening to with demographics like you're able to do with Facebook advertising or Google advertising, for example. But it remains to be seen. Yeah, we've gone back 
quite a bit, like back and forth on this idea quite a bit. And the conclusion we came to, curious your thoughts here, and James, you obviously can weigh in, train an AI neural net to learn the podcaster's voice and then have that AI read dynamic ads, so to speak, to insert. So you have that host read feel but you can now scale at a level that would actually benefit the podcast. <laughs> yeah, look, and this is where I say, you know, the audience is moving so quick. Have you guys checked out Descript or do you use Descript? No. no. Okay, so Descript, you should check it out. It is mind-blowing. And so it's actually the founder of Groupon that's created this product for transcription and editing for podcasts. And what you can do with the script is essentially edit a piece of audio or a podcast episode the same way you would edit a Word document. You can go in and one wow. click, for example, remove all of the ums and ahs from the episode, <laughs> just as easy as you would search and replace words in a Word document. Honestly, it's insane. It'll make this podcast sound, <laughs> everyone on this podcast sound three times smarter, just, you know, like with that one piece of functionality. But what they're also able to do is actually create new sentences by typing new sentences into the Descript interface. Oh, wow. So it is a voice-based generator as well. Absolutely. So, you know, so the technology I, exists. <laughs> absolutely. If I said, you know, today I'm eating a green apple and, you know, you wanted to go back and turn that into a red apple, you could absolutely do that. Wow. And you wouldn't need me to re-record at all. Obviously, this, you know, people have kind of... It's a slippery slope. Raised a little bit. Yeah, it's a slippery yeah. slope. People have, you know, raised a few red flags and said, okay, how does this work in, in a world where people can take such technology and wield it you know for um, yeah. bad purposes um <laughs> and that's how you get rise to you know deep fakes and things like that but the tools exist and you know descriptive taken you know steps in that direction and i think they limit only the author of that voice for example to be able to actually go and use that functionality to to create you know new sentences or new audio from scratch i think there exists a world where you take that kind of technology and you take dynamic ad insertion, for example, and you come up with you know something that is pretty scary and creepy uh, but <laughs> maybe that maybe converts pretty well. Yeah. Jason, you guys just uh, closed a round of funding for two million dollars. Pretty dicey macro environment. So congrats on that. Um, yeah, tell us uh, about what is the plan to scale the company? How are you going to use these funds and what's next for Supercast? Supercast was incubated by a group of companies that is called Tiny. Tiny's got a couple of co-founders, Andrew Wilkinson, the, the founder of MetaLab, and also Chris Sparling, who was CFO at MetaLab. And basically, as I mentioned before, Supercast was discovered as a business opportunity because Tiny and you know some of the, the companies within the Tiny umbrella had worked with some podcasters to help them build out their podcast businesses. When we launched Supercast six months ago in September 2019, the platform was built via a number of teams within the tiny umbrella. And with the $2 million that we've raised, we're now building out a dedicated team to go and take Supercast you know, into the future and, and build it out into a, a platform that helps provide even more functionality to, to podcasters that are using it to build up their premium subscriptions. But you know, we're excited about the fact that you know, we have over 10,000 people actually getting their content, getting their premium feeds through Supercast. And there's lots of stuff that we want to do. Some of the recent features we've created, for example, allows 
a podcast networks to come onto the platform and manage multiple shows through the one account to create bundle plans, for example, where you get access to premium content for multiple shows by paying one monthly subscription. And then, you know, another thing is building out an AMA platform where podcasters can essentially create that two-way dialogue with their audience. And so people who want to ask questions about, you know, whether a Coke Zero will take them out of ketosis, for example, can uh, <laughs> ask that to a health podcaster like Peter Atia or like, you know, Rhonda Patrick. And then, you know, in any given month or quarter, Peter or Rhonda can take the top 10 questions that have been asked by their audience uh, that have been voted up, you know, the highest by their audience and record one episode that answers all of those top questions and then publish those that episode with time code stamps such that, you know, all of the subscribers to those questions can tune into the part that they're most interested in. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's tons of, you know, interesting stuff that we're excited to do over the, the course of the next year. I have a question on the the outlook of the market. So we talked about Apple, Spotify. How do you view YouTube and the role that video, at least filming of a podcast, we see this with, I think, Joe Rogan, right? He films his podcast and then it's live on YouTube. How do you view that? And is YouTube a dark horse in this race to capitalize on podcasts? You know, a lot of podcasters are just discovering YouTube as a distribution channel and a great one at that. For not a lot of effort, you can upload your, you know, your audio episodes to YouTube and essentially, you know, just capitalize on that as a platform that has enormous reach. You know, you can take that to the nth degree. Um, Some people are just essentially uploading their audio with an image as a placeholder and so the visuals don't actually update, but, you know, you listen to the audio feed through the likes of YouTube. Um, other people like Joe Rogan are actually providing the video as another way to engage with the content and a way to watch along as you're listening. I've certainly watched a couple of Joe Rogan episodes on YouTube and, you know, really loved being able to, you know, I guess follow along with, you know, what people are doing with their hands and, you know, their faces. And it's certainly a great way to extend the medium a little bit further. You know, I think it's just horses for courses at the end of the day. You know, people want to engage with content in different ways. And one of the amazing things about podcasting is it really makes use of your ability to multitask. If you think about somebody who's on the road all day, you know, a truck driver, a service person, you know, whether they're a plumber or an electrician, or even white collar workers that, you know, are able to multitask and, you know, kind of do what they're doing on the computer at the same time as, you know, listening along to something. To washing dishes is, you know, kind of one of my favorite ways to listen to podcasting. To obviously, you know, commuting on the train. Mm -hmm. Those are the kinds of situations where video isn't such a useful medium because, you know, it requires more of your attention to follow along. And where podcasting, I think, is is a better medium because you can do two things at once. Right. In fact, one of our podcasters in particular used to only do YouTube streams. That's actually how they started out with their premium content. And their audience was saying, hey, can you put this on my phone? Can you put this in my podcast (laughs) feed? Because, you know, that's the easiest way for me to tune in to your episodes. And I'd love if you were able to make that possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's how they got on Supercast. I think you bring up a a great point here with the multitasking and podcast fitting into that. Given the current crisis we're in with stay at home, everyone's quarantined, do you have any insight into is podcasting in a bit of a decline right now, given that people are not commuting to work, they're not multitasking as much, right? We're sitting in front of our computers in our home. What are your thoughts there? 
So from reports from the industry, certainly some shows are reporting that their episode downloads are down 10, 15%, you know, since I guess over, you know, the last two weeks in particular. Mm-hmm. I put that down to just everybody having to adapt to a new environment, everybody having to go out there and panic by, make sure that, you know, they've got their fridge and their pantry stocked up. They're now not commuting to work. They're having to deal with kids at home. You know, it's just a big period of adjustment for literally everybody at the same time. Right. Based on that, I actually think 10 to 15% decline is actually pretty good. And if you look at general stats of where people are listening to podcasts, the majority, and this was an eye-opener for me, you know, when I first started paying attention to this space, is the majority of podcast listening is actually done at home. And then you obviously have people listening to them on their smart devices, on their smart speakers, while, you know, while they're, they're washing the dishes, et cetera, and on their commutes and, you know, while they're working out and all those sorts of use cases as well. So obviously commutes aren't happening now, so there's less of that going on. But I think that the fact that most or the biggest share of where people are listening is actually at home might mean that we actually see that over time increase over the baseline as people kind of adjust to working from home being uh, something that is just kind of how life is going to be for a few weeks or the next few months. Yeah, that's an interesting point because I think the numbers that out of Spotify, they didn't talk specifically podcasting, but they did show the music decline. And I think that was actually larger than what you had just reported with that 10, 15% for podcasting. But it does make sense that most of the, the listening would happen in home, you know, when you are multitasking around the house. Yeah, for sure. Jason, it's been a super fun chat. Maybe just to close off, which podcast would you recommend maybe a personal favorite and that has a great feed on the Supercast premium line to our listeners? Yeah, look, that's... Playing favorites. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard hard for me to play favorites. You know, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, you follow along to the Knowledge Project, Farnham Street. That's a a super great podcast because essentially... Well, let me ask this way. Which of these great content creators have the best premium feed? Like how have they found a great way to differentiate it and why people you think should really give it a subscribe and give them some support? Yeah, I mean, look, if you're into health and longevity, there's two, you know, like there's Peter Atia who, you know, has a great premium feed. He's being in the the health space. Ads aren't, you know, a great monetization vehicle because, you know, it's really important, you know, for these health podcasters to present an impartial view to the products they're recommending. But, you know, what they've done instead is, you know, just created a great ad-free premium feed, which provides a great value in terms of learning how to live a healthier, better life, while also being able to get access to them, you know, to ask about, you know, kind of, how you can reduce your cholesterol level, whether Coke Zero is going to break you out of ketosis. Or, you know, someone like Rhonda Patrick, for example, teaching you how, you know, saunas are, you know, a great way to kind of like boost your energy levels and boost your longevity. So, yeah, those would be my top recommendations. Awesome. Great. Jason, it's been a super illuminating conversation. We love the motto, we love what you guys are doing. Best of luck. And hopefully we'll have you back on the show once you guys have some new metrics to share. Yeah. Thanks for having me. ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results.
Certain of the statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.